0: Yeah, as James pointed out, the man is actually a command line utility for pulling up documentation.
1: Yeah, but it sucks working for it.
0: This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new relic. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have a guest rogue. That's Marty Hot. Hello. Marty, you haven't been on for a while. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself for our audience? Sh- sure.
2: Sure. So um, my name is Marty Hot. I uh, live in Longmont, Colorado, in the Boulder area. And I run a small consulting company called Code CodeWorks. And I also run the Boulder Ruby Group and organize Rocky Mountain Ruby in the area. And um, sort of that makes me a fielder of all questions. I get a lot of people come up to me and ask me advice about uh, getting into the community or getting into programming or job advice and uh, uh, sort of and to why the uh, topic of, is of interest to me. Mar- Marty, you've, you've been on the show before, right? I have, yes. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've been having some serious deja vu, man. <laughs> okay. And that, folks, is David Brady. I'm David Brady. I'm the chief metaphor officer at Slide Rule Labs.
0: All right. And uh, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello again. Uh, we also have James Edward Gray.
4: We are currently recording this show on a day that does not normally exist. How cool is that?
1: That is cool. (laughs) We also have Josh Susser. Good morning, everyone. Hey, Hey, Dave, I want to know what being chief metaphor officer is like. Uh, I actually <laughs> sat
3: down and prepared you Well, first of all, I'll tell you exactly what it's like It's like being the chief It's like being the chief simile officer, only can't use the word like I tell people I'm the Hannibal Lecter of delicious, delicious metaphors It's, it's my job to, to make disturbing visuals for people Oh, you're good at that
4: I told you you didn't want to know, you regret asking now, don't yep. you?
1: I usually regret anything I ask David.
3: Yes, it's it's, uh, that's more a function of me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, David, take off your coat now. Stop! Stop! (laughs) Why do you have theme music for taking off your coat?
0: (laughs) Yeah, if you saw his uh, Mountain West Ruby Comp talk from was it last year? This year, yeah. Yeah, that I'm still scarred. (laughs)
3: <laughs> i think i'm the only person to end this talk with the striptease <laughs>
0: anyway i'm charles maxwood from teachmetocode.com and uh anyway this week we're going to be talking about developer opportunities um this kind of came out of a twitter conversation that james and marty were having after we talked to peter cooper um do you want to elaborate on that a little bit so we can get some context and then we'll start talking
4: yeah, it was actually before we talked to Peter Cooper. It was when I was trying to get him to come on the show, and I was talking about you know how he's transitioned into a kind of a product guy, and and uh, you know I, I, on Twitter I said something like, yeah, I think uh, every, all, a lot of developers or maybe every developer or something wants to do that. I can't remember what I said. And uh, Marty's like, no, they don't. And I was like, <laughs> all right, come on the show, let's talk about that. So Marty, go ahead, prove me wrong.
2: Okay, well, um, so, so like I said earlier, um, I get these questions. Uh, I don't want to say when, it's monthly, but people come up to me and they ask me advice about, you know, I'm just new to the community or I'm new to programming or I've been programming a while and, you know, I'm thinking of going here, thinking about doing this. Uh, sometimes it's jumping freelance. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, moving to a different kind of, like a consulting company or maybe a product company or whatnot or a startup. And, um, and they, so they ask me my advice about this, and they ask me, if you know, if, what, what I think about that. And, um, I've also noticed as you, you guys have talked about, um, this move for people going into content, you know, or they no longer program as their main, um, you, you know, as a, their main job, but they create content like rails or Peepcode code or, or destroy All software or whatnot. And, um, and I don't know if, uh, everyone would like going in these directions and freelance is another good example that there's, uh, there's more to going in that direction than uh, what a neural programmer would, would, ha- would do. And they might enjoy more staying with, say, a consulting company or joining a product company and whatnot. And so I think that they're all different. And I don't think any of them are better than the others. It just depends on what you want and where you want to go um, with your career and what you want to do with your life.
4: So I guess we should probably just kind of work our way down the list of like, various things programmers can do and and kind of talk about maybe the pros and cons of those so like maybe at the farthest end there's there's kind of working for the man right you can you can go to work for some existing company you know and and those can be in various sizes you know from kind of smallish uh you know startups probably primarily to the big uh enterprise you know kind of companies right what do we think about that
0: so, so for me with the, the bigger companies, you know especially with the, um, with the product companies, it seems like in a lot of cases, what really makes the difference there because at a certain point your salary is enough and so getting paid more or less you know more than that it, it, it doesn't make a huge difference for me as far as picking a job and I've, I've had a few. Um, the thing that really made the difference for me was the culture and if the culture wasn't a good fit, then I really hated my life at that company. Um, a couple of examples that I can give. Um, I worked for a startup here in Utah. Um, it's called Mosey. Uh, you may have heard of it. And uh, they do backup software. And I ran their tech support department. I love my job. For the first year I was there, and then they got acquired by a larger company. And the whole culture changed. And it was not as fun to work there anymore. And it, it just didn't fit me. You know, I... I I don't want to dog on the company because I I don't know that it's necessarily their fault. But at the same time, you know, that that was about when I wound up leaving there. And there was another company that I worked for that. It was kind of the same deal where the the culture was just it was for for me. It almost felt toxic. It was like, look, just put your head down, um, crank out the code, make the product work and we'll pay you. And you should be thankful to us. And, you know, I, I realized that I could go get another job, one that I would probably enjoy more. And, and that that works. So that's kind of the risk. But at the same time, when I worked with Dave at Public Engines, I mean, their their culture was terrific.
3: You oh, know. wait, that wasn't the toxic culture. <laughs> there, there were some issues there. I, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I've never worked at a place that didn't have some insanity in it somewhere. And, and yeah. that place had some insanity in it. That wasn't just me, me and you. Right. But at
0: the same time, you know, there were. You know, we, we really gelled well, I think as, as a team and as a company, you know, we got yeah. along pretty well with all of the other folks, including the marketing folks and the support folks and the, um, the project management folks and, you mm-hmm. know, the, the C level people with maybe one major exception, um, <laughs> Dave last anyway. Um, Cause I
3: was the major exception with it, with that major exception.
0: <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. He'd come in, he'd take a dump on Dave and leave, but Oh geez. But anyway, um, you know, so in general, it was a terrific place to work. And I probably never would have left there on my own unless something had seriously changed. And something did seriously change. They stopped being profitable and let some people go. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, that, that's the real thing is if you can find a place that you really love to be and you get to do what you really love to do, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a full time job. Um, but if you're in a company whose culture either doesn't fit with what you kind of envision for yourself, then it's it's not worth it. Go find somewhere else because there are coding jobs all over the place. And so you can most likely find something that, that's around you that will work for you and, uh, you know, avoid some of these problems. Um, I know that there are other issues that other people have had. But uh, for me, that that's the major thing is the culture. How well so- I fit
2: in. So so um, there when I thought about this, I think there are mainly five different sort of directions you can go. And maybe you could throw another couple in that are that are what most people are going to have as their opportunities And I mean culture is obviously a great thing to talk about because that is a important. Um, um, aspect in t- determining whether you want to stay at a certain place or not, but these these five choices or directions sort of are higher than, than that. So, the the first one is. Um, Uh, sort of what you're talking about, a product company, where the company uh, can be different sizes, but its main focus is creating software. And so, you know, pretty much everyone at that company in some way or another is sort of dedicated to that goal of creating software. Hopefully it's good software, but but that's sort of the focus of the company. You have um, consulting, which is sort of like your pivotal labs where it's a company that provides, uh, you know, has a bunch of programmers that work together on teams and they go out and they help a client you know, like ThoughtWorks or whatever, either integrating with their team or building software for them. Uh, but in this particular case, this flavor of consulting is that you as the programmer are not res- responsible for other aspects of the business. You're just programming. That's all you're doing. Then there's freelance, which is where, of course, you are the programmer and everything else. So you're you're owning your own business and in all that direction. Uh, then there's content provider, which is sort of what um, you guys were talking about a few weeks ago, where you are producing Something of value to other people, and they pay you for it. Um, and um, of course, in this case, is there, this is programmer-related. Um, but uh, the, you're sort of doing that direction. And then there's training, so you're you're going out like a jumpstart labs, where you're going out or a pragmatic uh, studio, where you are helping people get better as programmers. So those are sort of the five different directions I see that you can kind of go. Um, and you, of course, you can hop around these. Uh, the right. other two, the other two, just real quick, the other two that I kind of think about is working for an um, IT department in a company that doesn't focus on software. So that's sort of your big corp. And then also like R&D at a big corp, which can be really interesting and wild and different. But um, so those are sort of the ones that I mainly see out there.
4: So can we talk just a little bit about, uh, because I personally can find it confusing sometimes, what are we calling the difference between uh, consulting and freelancing?
0: Do you mean like working for a consulting company that you don't own versus being a freelancer, at one that you do own
2: or are? Yeah, that, that's how I, and James, in this particular case, that's how I'm separating them, is that with a consulting company, you are just um, the developer. You're just developing for clients, uh, whereas with freelance, you have to own the entire business process. Which which, what, what that means, of course, is that you can't program all the time because you have to do the other things that it takes to keep the your business going.
3: Now that, that's an interesting distinction because um, it totally doesn't apply to my world. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to kind of give you a, a different viewpoint. Um, so the type of consulting you describe there's a, a couple of shops out here in utah that uh... you can go there and work as a w-2 employee and and basically yeah. they're glorified technical recruiters right they'll go out they'll bid on a project and then they'll just send five programmers and the five programmers finish you know and, and, I, and i've gone and done, done those jobs and you go you yeah. can write a piece of software for a customer and yeah you you don't have to worry about the business you don't have to worry about that but that kind of thing but uh... what slide rule is doing that I think is really different than a lot of uh, freelancers is that uh, we, we do that same kind of consulting for customers, but we're finding a lot of uh, really small business people who who have just kind of lucked into some cash flow and have no idea how to secure it or how to grow it. And so we end up, it, it's almost, we jokingly refer to ourselves as a rent-a-CTO uh, shop. Uh, um, sure. Where we'll step in and we'll actually consult on uh, you know the the whole technical aspect of of the business, um, and by technical aspect, I actually mean a lot more than technical. We'll actually consult on, hey, this is driving customers away. This is actually sure. this is moving this is taking money out the door, and, and we try to focus it on cash flow. And we we found that if you can if you can figure out how to turn a technical problem into cash flow, you can get the CEO of any corporation on your side. Yeah. Um, it's a powerful yeah. persuasive tool, and so. That's what I, where I wanted to clarify was there's, there's like consulting where you just go and program, but there's somebody above you who's managing your consulting business. And then there's consulting where you step in and actually help people. Well, you consult on anything, right? It, it's sure. in our case, we go in and we say, you should, you should do this. You really should have your login protected by SSL.
2: Yeah. And you know, there, there, there are variations. So we could actually, that maybe that's a great distinction to make that, that, this is sure of um, there's like a scale here so you're right and I've done a number yeah. of these things yeah. over the years So, so you do have like uh, there's freelance where you own everything and you have to sell yourself and, and and do the biz dev and all that. And you own everything and you have to do it and be self-sufficient um, or at least bring people in that can help you with the areas that you don't know about. Uh, then you have like the staff augmentation where literally the consulting company is, as you said, is a recruiter. And they'll say, hey, I've got a opportunity for three to six months over here. We'll send you down to an interview. And if you get it, you basically go and work for them for that time but you're right. a W2 or maybe you're a 1099 you know it, yeah. it doesn't but but that you know, it's not a team thing and then you can get to where like a pivotal labs or or like a thoughtbot or something where where you are doing more full process um or, you know maybe you're just programming maybe you're doing like you're saying where you're you're helping them develop their business like mm-hmm. you guys don't have any programmers but we'll be your CTO and we'll help you get it done yep. and and they're all cool in some ways well maybe the staff augmentation you know a place you is not so cool maybe it's cool if you don't have any work at all but it's it's a great place to start it's, yeah <laughs> but you're right because and those are all different they all have different pros and cons mm-hmm. and um and we certainly can riff on that for a bit too
4: so i i used to work for uh the company uh kind of like chuck did i worked for a, a food company doing programming for them um and and the culture is a good aspect that's definitely a part of it um, some of the other trade-offs, I think, in, in working for the company, um, just uh, personally, the reason I don't do that anymore is um, I, I sometimes feel like uh, when I'm working at one company, I'm doing the same thing all the time, uh, and I, I like to try new and different things, and I, I feel like that happens less when I'm working for uh, a company.
3: I had a fantastic interview, oh gosh, eight years ago, nine years ago, and I'd been freelancing and, can, you know, I, I, by the definition Marty gave, I was freelancing, and um, I had jumped around from shop to shop, and I would freelance for a while, and sometimes they'd hire me at W2, and so I had a resume that, you know, I didn't have any long flagstones in the walk on my resume. My resume looked like just a just a yard full of gravel. I mean, I had like 15 jobs, and like, you know, <laughs> yep. it was just insane, and Um, I sat down with the project manager who had been at this one company for like 10 years. And she uh, she looked at this and she says, I'm a little concerned that you have one year of experience times 10. And I looked (laughs) right. I I, I said, I know exactly what you mean, as opposed to having the same year of experience times 10. Yeah, I, I didn't get the job. (laughs) <laughs> really no no oh in man fa- in fact uh i got sent back out to the same shop by uh later on working for a con- uh, for a consultancy here in utah they sent me out to the same shop to interview and uh, i walked in and it was her again and yeah. we're like oh hey <laughs> like,
2: well we can just move this right along can't do we? we need to talk do, I, do we even need to take off my jacket <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah no kidding right and the funny thing is, is she did. She actually wanted to sit down and interview me because she was very waterfall minded. And so in her world, it was like, I'm here to do an interview. And interviews take 55 minutes. Oh, sure. So can you can use it up? Minutes. Yep. I so, practiced my interview skills.
2: So, so there's two things that I I like to say to that. And I think that um, it's the, the, some people like that and some people don't like that. And I'm talking about the variety. And I think it's a pro and a con depending on what you want. Because yes. I – I do like the aspect that when I'm consulting, uh, and this is true for a or when you're running your own company or you know, working for a consulting company, is you get that variety. You get to see a lot of different problems. You get to work with different teams, and it's great exposure. It's a lot of fun. But at the same time, there is something nice about saying, you know what, for the next two or three years, I'm going to sink in on this domain and this problem, and I'm really going to own it and I'm going to deliver it. And I'm not going to get yanked when they no longer need us or when we're mostly done. I'm going to stick with it for a while until I'm satisfied. And sure. I, I do th- So I do think there's a time when you want to move on. So I, you know, the 10 years of repeating the same year over and over again, I, I can definitely uh, I can see that. Yeah. But I think that what we're seeing now, I mean, I, maybe this has been for a while, where developers have more the mentality of, Project based, not company based. Like mm-hmm. I'll come and work for you on this project. I mean, your company, sure, but you know, once this project is done, I'm probably going to move on. I'm probably going to do something else, and even even if it's only two or three years or whatnot. But um, but that we have more of this mentality of I'm doing it for this particular project or this particular team, and then when that's done and played out, then I'll move on. It makes yeah. me so happy to hear you say that because I tell people all the time, like managers.
3: I do not, I have absolute, you know, loyalty in a company only goes one way. It only goes up. And I tell employers, just be aware that I know that your company has no loyalty to me. I have none towards your company. And they kind of squint at you because that's kind of a heretical thing to say. Um, But I follow it up by saying, but I absolutely go rabid and just fall madly in love with projects. And I stay up at night trying to figure out, how are we going to finish this project? And that's what motivates me. And so I love going project to project.
0: Yeah, that, that's one nice thing about the consulting, too, is that uh, you, you do tend to get to move around, like James was saying. And I worked for a consulting company here in Utah, a different one from the one Dave worked for. Um, and I've also, you know, obviously been freelancing for the last year or so. And it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing you know, I got moved around, um, from client to client at the consulting company and I've moved from client to client as a freelancer. And so that is one benefit that you get from both. Um, the, the nice thing about being a freelancer is that you get to pick your clients. And so if you get a client that sucks, you can, you know, you can talk your way around them, get rid of them. Whereas if you're working for a consulting firm, you can't always do that. But, but other than that, that benefit is there and it's, it's nice.
1: On, on the other hand, at a consulting firm, you can swap projects if one isn't working out. That's true, yeah. that's true. Oftentimes, that's a lot easier than trying to find a new client. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so I, um, I, found, I found a couple of things about jobs that are um, relate to my happiness at a job, not like, independent of whether it's working for the man or doing product or uh, being a consultant. And uh, one of those things is who I work for. It's like you know who, who my manager is has a humongous effect on my happiness and, yeah. and satisfaction at my job. And uh, in in small companies, I think you have a lot more stability. With your manager, I've worked. You know, at big companies, it seems like you know you have bungee bosses who just sort of uh, you mm. know spring in and then get yanked out. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that term, bungee bosses. Oh, it, it's an old Dilbert term. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 we, we, it, I was on a team at Apple, and we were on our like third department manager for the year, so we all had that um, cartoon taped to our door. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, who your manager is 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 huge, and you know, don't work for a bad manager, and unfortunately, most managers are bad managers. I I will uh, take what you said and and and
3: plus one it in just the most extreme way possible. I have I have counseled people in the past. I had a friend who was at Microsoft, and he was one of the permatemps, You know, cycle in for three hundred days and then cycle out for a hundred days, kind of thing. And he <laughs> they finally his the, no, that's what my, Microsoft does with their temps in Perm-temp. order to. I that's what they that. that's their term for it and it's it's their way of getting around Washington's laws for whether or not they have to pay benefits to you know technically this is now a full-time employee and they're like okay fine we're just going to lay up, lay them all off for you know 25% of the time and anyway the
1: yeah what's they, your duty cycle
3: yeah <laughs> and uh, they finally pulled out the chair for him and said, hey, we're going to make you a blue badge, which is a full-time W-2 employee at, at Microsoft. And you have a choice. You can go to work on this team or on this team. And basically, there was this really exciting high visibility. Like like he was gonna be, he was going to be on Steve Ballmer's radar personally if he took this job. But he didn't know the manager, and the manager had a reputation for being a little bit psychotic. And the other job was toiling away in obscurity, but with the manager that he'd worked in for two of his three permatemp cycles. And this guy was an absolute champion of empowerment and employee growth. And absolutely take the favor, the, a good manager over what you think is going to be a good project or a good job, because a bad manager will turn a great job. It will just turn to ash in your mouth. But a good manager can make you know toiling away in obscurity into a, just a fantastic career builder for you because yeah, always favor a good manager over uh, over a good position. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. The,
1: um, because good managers are so freaking rare. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so true. So, so I I used to so Kent Beck was the guy who hired me to come to Apple, and I gotta say Kent is you know an awesome manager as pretty much anyone would guess. And, and wh- he, he left Apple while I was still there. And he, before he left, he, he gave me some advice that I should have taken to heart much earlier in my career than I did. So I'll, I'll just pass it on to people. It's that, it, and this is not like unique advice, but it's still good. It's that you know, when you're trying to decide on a job and where you wanna go, do something that, that you love doing. It's, you know, go, go work on something that you're going to have fun doing that you wake up in the morning and you're excited about going to work rather than something that's going to make you a lot of money. Because in, in the long run, you'll be much more successful if you're working on things that you enjoy working on. And, you know, in the long run, you'll work out having a more successful career and probably make more money anyway than if you just try and go for the higher paying job that's right in front of you.
4: Yeah, I actually absolutely agree with that. Couldn't agree with it more. I I, I mean, when people ask me what I do, I, I usually say something like, oh, I get paid to play with my favorite toys all day long, <laughs> you know, it's, it's true, it's totally true. And in my career, when I, when I tried to force myself down certain avenues because, you know, it seemed like that was a better idea at the time, that was always painful. And then when I just sit and do what I love, that, that's always been easy, you know, to do. And you've been pretty successful. <laughs> Sometimes.
2: Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, along those lines... I- the, one of the pieces of advice that I give people when they first uh, ask me about this is I, I say, well, f- you know, what do you want to do? I ask them that question, and I think this is a question that we should all be asking, uh, and and a lot, you know, frequently throughout the year, you know, you know, are you happy with what you're doing? What do you feel drawn to do? And this is more like it, not just in like a, oh, that sounds like a good project, or I, you know, I would like to do that programming thing, more like am I happy building things? Do I want to help people? Do I m- want to mentor people? You know, what exactly at a fundamental level deep inside myself makes me happy and, and something that I would f- f- fulfill me if I were to do that for the next 20 or 30 years? And you may not get the answer right away, but if you never ask the question you never you know, are quiet and sit with yourself about this, you're not going to know. And you might be bouncing around because you don't, you're you're trying to go for things that don't make you happy and you don't even know it. So, you know, try to find that answer or at least find the current answer, the answer that you have right now that makes you happy. And then after that, I think you should dabble. And I think it's good to get out and get some experience. So, you know, maybe try that consulting job, you know, where you're, you know, jumping around from project to project. Maybe try out a, a product company that has a, a great team and a great manager and whatnot and see how that is. Or, or maybe try out doing something different, like maybe training perhaps. I don't know. But the idea that, you know, uh, play around with stuff until you find something that, that really clicks. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to, it's easy to think um, that, you know, something
5: sounds you know, perfect for you um, from the outside. You know, you might, maybe you think, the, the startup experience seems really neat, but then you know you're not going to really know that until you give it a shot, and you know maybe you find out you love it, maybe you find out that it's just grueling. Um, and i I do think I, I will say after um uh, a couple years of of freelancing experience, um, just speaking of trying things, I think everyone, every programmer uh should try freelancing. I mean, you know, even if you're you're perfectly happy at your job, go go and get your your company incorporated, even if you're not going to, you know, do anything much with it for a while. Um, uh, but I just think it's it's such a great perspective shift uh when you think of yourself as, you know, as working for yourself and as, you know, as a as a business entity in your own in your own right. Um it's a very empowering perspective. Um and I I highly recommend that. Yeah.
4: yeah, I am um, along the lines of experimentation. Like, what I've always known I wanted to do was program, and, and I've always enjoyed that part and always wanted to, you know, build things and, and uh, create things and stuff like that. And then it wasn't until I had done that for quite a while that, that I actually tried uh, teaching a little bit. Um, And I I really didn't expect to like that. And it turned out that I did, you know, so it was was, uh, just attempting that. And now I now I tend to teach quite a bit, too, in addition to, you know, doing the programming. But uh, I didn't know that until I tried it.
0: Yeah. One thing that I want to point out, too, is that uh, if it's not a good fit for you, if it's not something that you're going to enjoy, usually figure it out pretty fast. Um, I heard a statistic and this this kind of ties more into content production, but. Um, basically uh, most podcasts that people start don't get past episode like six. Wow. And uh, yeah and and the reason is that you know. That's it folks bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah but it, it just turns out that people aren't committed enough to it and it's because it just you know it's not the way that they work it's not the way that it you know that fits them. And I think that it's that way with a lot of things you know if you get into that job or you get into freelance and and you'll figure out pretty fast whether or not it's it's a good fit for you.
1: Yep. Yeah. You know, so so if I'm working for the man, and you know working for somebody else's company, uh, I find that uh, my happiness and my job is often really strongly correlated with how relevant my work is to the company's central business. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely.
3: Interesting. This is a little bit rare, but I I have also found um, how just how useful that company's central business is to the human race. <laughs> um, I, I worked at a at a shop where we were doing vibration control, right? And and this is this is safety engineering, right? I'm 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 basically making sure that engine blocks don't fall out of cars by being vibrated until the welds crack and re- you know because they resonate, mm-hmm. and. Coolest place? I mean, one. Well, okay, all the places I've, I've worked for so, one way or another were, were always some in some way the coolest place ever. But I mean, I, I we got a bug report that began with the sentence "Fortunately, no one was killed," but and then <laughs> and then the bug report continued. Toyota launched a, one of our software launched a Toyota Camry across the room, um, but it didn't really go across the room. But the the, the shaker table punched it up in the air so hard that the car couldn't get out of the way and it bent the frame on the car. And it was just supposed to kind of shake it a little bit. Um, And I had I had dreamed since I was a little boy of being a video game programmer, and I got the chance to leave that shop and go to um, Acclaim Entertainment, which is, you know, famous for not being one of the best video game shops in the whole world. Um, but I went there when they were still iguana software, which was one of the better ones. You know, they made the Turok games back when the Turok games were good. Um, actually I just realized nobody probably even remembers Turok, but anyway, um, I went to to acclaim, and I I was living my dream, and I was miserable. I, I I and I couldn't understand it. And I finally I woke up one day and I realized what am I doing for humanity? I was saving lives a year ago, and now it it, it did not help my mood at all that the Columbine video game shootings. Uh, or the Columbine shootings happened and were linked to video game violence. That happened mm-hmm. while I was at Acclaim. And I'm just kind of like, what is my net input into the value of humanity at this job? And I didn't have a good answer for that. And so, yeah, it's it, I, I agree with Josh. You know, the, the, the more aligned you are with uh, having relevant work to what the company is doing, but also how well the company's central vision is aligned with kind of what you want to do with your life and with your, with your career. I mean, okay, everybody should have a chance to go work at a lead gen company, and everybody should leave... <laughs> Should leave that lead gen company once you figure out it's a pile of steaming crap. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a, this episode, I'm going to get unfriended on Facebook by about fifty people on Friday.
4: Oh. <laughs> well, now we're, we're not, not talking it. about social coupon companies, right?
3: No, nope. no, 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 no. no. Uh, lead, lead, lead generation and, and and I want to point out to all my lead gen friends that um it's you people are not you people you people are wonderful people it's the industry you're you're in that is slimy so yeah yes. David we yeah, both yeah, worked for it
2: almost it's almost sort of like if you had to explain what you do and what your company does the company you work for it, to like a four-year-old would you feel proud or would there be questions like what mm-hmm. what Yeah. Yeah. Would you, how many,
3: (laughs) how many embellishments do you have to make when explaining what you do to your mom?
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, nobody died yesterday, but
4: (laughs) (laughs) so I'm going to start describing my programming days like that. When my wife asked me how it went, well, nobody died. I don't (laughs) think.
5: So with with that said, you know, I, I think it's, it's fantastic and wonderful and amazing that we have so many options as programmers. Um, and that we can actually, you know, pursue self-actualization in our jobs. Um, Oh no, no. are you going to make us feel guilty now? um, Please? I don't know. Am I? (laughs) Uh, But I I just want to say that, I I just want to put a word in that, you know, probably something like 90% of the human race, you know, just works to, to... to pay the bills. And, and, you know, and I'm not gonna, there's no shame in that. Um, and, yeah. and it's always good to, you know, to not only have yeah. satisfaction and, you know, a good feeling about what you do in your work, but to, to have things um, outside of that, you know, to have to, to sort of be, you know, have things that, that make you feel good as a, as, as a human being, uh, whether you're employed by, you know, whichever employer or not. Um, and uh, and that's another good argument for for you know doing some stuff uh, for yourself on the side, freelancer or, or however you know just you know have your own thing that isn't dependent on on somebody else's industry.
3: I, I would add to what Avdi had said, and 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 uh, I, I don't think he'll agree with this addition. But uh, basically, what he said, um, you should have a so. It's there's no shame in having a balanced life and just working, you know, to support your life and your 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 marriage and your family rather than the other way around. But if Absolutely. that's true. But if that's true, programming might not be for you. Somebody told me once that you should make your, you should figure out, you should stack rank all the things that are important to you in your life, and you should make the number two most important thing your job, and you should make the number one most important thing your hobby, so that at the end of the day when you're worn out from your job you have something even more important to draw you in and, and pull you in. I didn't get this advice until I was 30 and I foolishly made the mistake of having my job be my one, two, and number three favorite things in the whole world which are programming, programming, programming. I mean I just I love computers I obsess about them. My wife will you know walk into the the, the, the den at 10 o'clock at night after I've you know put in a 12-hour day and I'm writing code anyway just for fun just to see if I can and I absolutely obsess about it I guess I'm I'm I started off trying to make a joke at uh, out of what Avdi said and I apologize because it was it was uh, deserving of more serious consideration because now that I'm trying to defend it I feel like I'm trying to kick the people that are that are just in it for you know feeding their families and and <laughs> well, uh, I don't feel good about
2: that but so, so Dave, um, I, don't, I don't know I mean I think that that um, depending where you are in your life um, that could be very relevant. And I have to say yeah. for me, actually programming, because now the way I search for my business, I actually have a lot more time so I can do triathlon training, which takes a lot of your time, still be an active dad and still have time for some sort hobbies, but um, like skiing this weekend, but, um, you know, but and still program and still do well. I just don't do it 50 or 60 hours a week. I only do maybe right. 30 hours a week. Right.
4: Yeah, but um, to what Dave was saying, I think there is actually a point there um, the for example, Marty, you're at the point in where your career where you have a lot of experience to draw yeah, on and stuff. Yes, definitely. And programming is uh, man, it's a steep climb over those first few hills. You know what I mean? You're right. You're right. Definitely. Like like, there's there's a part where when you're pretty early on in the cycle that Dave's kind of right. If you don't want to eat, sleep, and drink code, you know, uh, you maybe you maybe ought to go try something else. You know because for a while, you know, until you've had those five hundred conversations with a compiler where you're screaming mm-hmm. and trying to shake it out of the screen, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. It's it's hard and and then once you get to that point you have some hard won knowledge, you know, that, yeah. that ends up paying off uh, pretty big dividends. But I, I think that initial process there's a reason that, that those of us that, that are like we are kinda obsess about it a little bit, you know, I think.
5: Yeah. Well, it's, 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 but it's, it's worth recognizing that, that we're kind of in a, in a, uh, a minor minority. I mean, if I sort of step, step aside and argue with myself, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also the guy that's been, been yelling at sort of wage slave programmers to get out of my industry for years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there is that's a, kind
3: of where I was going with that. Yeah.
5: You know, for better or for worse, there is also, there is also a lot of space in this industry still for. For wage wage slave programmers, you know, I mean, what I'm saying about about there's no shame in that. I mean, I've basically said the opposite in the past and I I could still say the opposite. It's just that I think right now, um, you know, I don't think there are a lot of wage slave programmers listening to this. That's fair. Um, probably not probably not. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's not going to do much good to say, look, you know, if you're if you're just if you're just clocking in and sitting in front of the, the you know, if you're, if you're just doing playing the office space game, um, you know, then then you're probably better off, better off in construction Um that doesn't really you know mean anything because I don't think very many people listening to this are playing the office space game but uh, you know I just want to say that uh, you know that said uh, there if they are good luck
4: <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. so let me,
2: yeah.
4: let me try to t- turn the conversation a little bit because there's one more aspect to this stuff we're talking about I want to talk about today and that's risk um mm-hmm. I, I hear a lot of people I, you know, I think that uh, the ideas of Risk are sometimes a little screwed up. Like, for example, yeah, it's a
0: fun board game, but man, it's frustrating sometimes.
4: <laughs> it just takes—it just takes too long. Yeah, um, just, just always, always
1: start in South America, and you'll be okay. You're
4: good. Right? So
5: yeah, oh there... I,
3: I have—I have one rule for Risk, and that's when you need to grab part, grab little tidbits out of another color box because all of your color is deployed on the board. I forfeit the game.
4: Yeah, you're done. (laughs) The the ideas of risk at these different uh, levels of job we're talking about that I hear about are sometimes strange to me. Like, for example, I think most people consider the corporate programming kind of job uh, low on the risk scale. And I, I don't really feel that way. Like, I mean, there is the advantage of, you know, they usually provide your health care and stuff like that, which is one of those things that, you know, freelancers often struggle to do, you know, yeah, to get right. Um, so that so I definitely see that aspect of it. But at the same time, like, here where I live, one of the largest employer of programmers just laid off a whole bunch of people, you know. And so those guys were working for the company and now they're all without jobs and looking again, you know. and. And I feel a lot more secure, actually, in my freelance setup, like, you know, if one client wigs out, doesn't have money, well, that's what other clients are for, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it, I and 100% they, agree with that.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's not just tied to the company's well-being or anything else. I mean, it could be that you have a, a boss that decides he doesn't like you and lets you go. I mean, mm-hmm. or, you know, HR screws something up and then they have to let you go. Or I mean, there there are so many myriad uh, things that can go wrong in a in a corporation that can result in you losing your job that have nothing to do with you. Where, yeah, yeah. They
1: they yeah. cancelled your project.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas where right. as an independent, it's a little bit different because it is tied to you, or at least you know, to your client in the same way. But at least you have a say usually.
5: Yeah, going yeah, I, freelance I, I, is is the best. Um, is, is the best job security move I ever, I ever took. Uh, I mean, I, I took it after, a, a series, you know, a few different jobs kind of fell apart under me and, you know, and, and I was panicked at the end, you know, when that happened, because it's, it's this, like, it's this race, you know, gotta, gotta find that next, um, you know, that next safety zone before the clock runs out. And, you know, at this point, if, if, you know, if my, if, if, even if all my clients went away, I mean, all that would mean for me is, you know, a, okay, you know, ask or start asking around some more and B it's time to, it's time to, to work on, uh,
2: on another book.
4: Oh man. If yeah. all my clients leave me, I'm taking a three month vacation. <laughs> <that day.
2: laughs> yeah. yep. So I mean, I, I would, I would, I would add to this that, that, that there is real risk with, with all these. And I, right. I agree with the sentiment that the security, the safety blanket of the corporate job or the product company's position, um, is not as um, secure as you think it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's good, but I think also when you move into the, you know the higher risk uh, places where you're like freelance or um, you know maybe if you're doing content providing or maybe even training, if you don't have a, a solid pipeline, you may find yourself you know with some time on your hands. And I think as long as you understand that that's going to happen or it could happen, and and that you prepare for it. So you have a nice buffer, maybe three months, maybe six months, whatever it is. So at least you're gonna be able to pay your mortgage and whatnot when you hit a dry spell, then you're fine. And I agree that certainly I've never I've had more work when I've had my own company or freelance than I had before that, where I like, I had to say no a lot. and But there were times where, you know, yep, we had some time off and and maybe I use that time to say, organize a conference and it was awesome or, you know, work on something else. And and I think as long as you're prepared for that, then it's okay. But if you're not prepared for that, wow, that's going to suck because then you're going to have to go and scramble for something that um, maybe not as ideal.
0: Yeah, one one other thing I want to point out with that is that Um, I think with freelancing especially, your risk is tied directly to your ability to sell. Yeah. If you do not have a way of filling that pipeline, like Marty said, if you can't talk people into hiring you, um, if you can't convince them that you're the right fit, yeah, you're done. And so if, if you're not comfortable talking to people or if you're not comfortable, you know, pressing them and saying, you know, look, you know, we, we really need to get going on this so that we can take care of you and, and actually mean it, then, you know, you're, you're just not going to succeed as a freelancer. And so you're better off in the corporate job. But I think I think most people, if they get out there and they give it a shot, I, I think most people are more competent than they really think they are. And they'd find that, you know, they could do OK as a freelancer.
3: I would I would add that if um, if you've been programming for a year or two, um, freelancing solo might not be for you um, because you just haven't had the experience of doing everything in the project from setup to deployment. I mean the whole thing, right. and managing um, client too. And managing a client while you're doing it, yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if you're gonna go that route, if you're if you're listening to this and you've been programming for a year, and we've got you all fired up to quit your W two job, um, maybe ease into it. Maybe find you know uh, take side jobs and try and try and you know work a side project rather than you know jumping in whole hog. Um, but. Or subcontract w- where somebody th- else is going to do a lot of that for yes. you. Yeah, yeah, subcontract. Yeah, yeah that's great. Subcontracting yeah. is fantastic because somebody else manages the company while you watch and kind of learn in the wings. Um, but I will totally echo the sentiment. I, I, I am so grateful that I learned this lesson in just the worst possible way. I, I had gone from small company to small company. And just seeing the turmoil and the lack of stability. And then I landed a job at a government contractor, a big shop, you know, had a whole bunch of defense contracts. And I got uh, hired on uh, writing graphics drivers. Um, and then I moved over to work on planetarium control software, which was really freaking cool. I mean, both those jobs were just, just loads and loads of fun. And I really... I took my eye off the ball when it comes to like managing my career because I was at this big government contractor. This is this was a place of empire building. I was I was working with guys that had been at this company for 30 years as programmers. I mean, this was this was where I was going to you know make my stand and I was going to be here for 10 years. And then I got laid off. Just, just out of the blue. It's the it's one of two times in my career when I did not see it coming, and the second time it happened was with an abs an actual clinically insane client, and um, the the yeah getting a screaming email all caps email at two o'clock in the morning that's no fun either. But um, uh, but I mean yeah, it's it's like I come to work one day, I'm happy everything's cool. I sit down, there's a there's an email from the company president saying, you know, as we move through this difficult time of transition. I'm like, "Oh, there must have been some layoffs today." And 5 minutes later, my manager stops by my desk and he says, "Hey, can I talk to you for a minute?" And he's got a stack he's got a stack of papers and I look at the stack <laughs> and the top sheet says exit checklist and I'm like, "Ah, crap." And that sent me home. My my wife, her father got out of the army at age 21, went to work at one place and stayed there until he retired at age 65. Same company the entire time. Um, the company changed names and was acquired three times. and But he went to the same building for like 44 years. And I changed jobs like three times while I was dating his daughter and he, he I, I terrified <laughs> him. <laughs> and and here, here I was, I'd finally landed this big government job and I was, gonna, I was gonna be like my father-in-law, I was gonna stay here forever. And I am so grateful that I got laid off out of the blue at that job because what it taught me is there is no such thing as job security.
4: Yeah, Marty talked about the kind of cycle, and I think it's definitely there. I've seen it where, you know, it just seems to work out where, like, a couple of projects wind up around the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. And even if you're gonna get new clients or something, there's a little bit of a pause there, you know, where you yeah. you gotta go find them and stuff like that. Um, I just try to use those cycles to my advantage. <laughs> like whenever uh, two projects run out at the same time, I'm like, all right, time for vacation, you know, or something <laughs> like
1: that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so there's a difference between job security and career security. Uh, that's and, a Yes. point. Yeah, yeah, and and that. So I live in San Francisco. It, it doesn't matter you know, when you're a developer here in San Francisco if your startup company goes under and you know all ten of the developers, uh, you know, are on the street looking for work. They'll probably have new jobs within a week.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's
1: kind of like yeah.
3: it's the the job market in San Francisco sounds like the job market in Silicon Valley in 1980, where the the saying was, "If you don't like your job, just park in a different lot." <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs>
4: So one, so one more aspect I wanted to hit on the risk thing is that I think a lot of people think starting uh, a product or doing, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, kind of content production or something like that is high risk. I sometimes hear people make comments like that. Um, I, that's another myth I think I'd kind of like us to bust and that, like, I don't feel that way at all. Like, uh, it, you know, it, it, it depends entirely on how you do it. You know, if you're going to go out and get a bunch of funding and, and try to meet a bunch of crazy goals, possibly. But, um, you know, if you bootstrap something, uh, you know, like when I put rubies in the rough together, it cost me maybe 200 bucks before it was paying for itself, you know, mm-hmm. to
2: right.
4: get a server, throw some code up on it, you know. Put something well, and other. your time. Uh, oh, that's exactly right. You're right. I, I'm not clear about that. Your your time is, is always what you're risking. But that doesn't bother me at all. I mean, you know, I, I would rather risk that, you know, I'd throw some time into it and see if it's going to fly. If it does, great. If it doesn't, well, I'm out some time. But like, I'm not on the street or something. You know, yeah. So. yeah, yeah I, well, you know, James, I think what I
2: would say about that is that as long as you have something else that's covering you, if you're like saying, I'll spend a day or I'll spend four hours a week on it, I think that's great because you're covered by your other, whatever else you're doing. But if you were to say, I'm going to quit and start a new product company and run on, you know what, you know, 6 months cash or something. Then that might be risky, but might be worth it. But if you certainly the bootstrapping idea, I agree. You know, as developers, we now have an opportunity where there is it's almost all free beyond our time to build something amazing and why not take a shot at that? If you're passionate about it, go and do it. You know, maybe don't quit all of you know, you, you know your uh, breadwinning kind of stuff so you still have some money coming in, but why not? Why not spend a day a week building something yeah. that you love? I, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, don't f- think
5: about it as a like a blockbuster thing. Like, um, you know, yeah. like it has to be this huge, this huge product. You know, this this thing that's going to be a breakthrough. You know, it's okay to have projects that are just side income, and I those are so great to have, especially if you get one of those gaps in work because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, what? I'm okay. I, I've got some side income. It's it's cool. Yeah. the For me, people, they're like, isn't that so risky?
3: I just don't understand. And I, 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 I turn on them and I say, okay, you just said the magic words. I don't understand. That is where all your fear, your fear is not coming from the risk. Your fear is coming from confusion. And you just, yeah, If it, don't jump into this whole, whole hog, both feet, don't quit your day job kind of thing. Do it on the side until you believe that you can do it full time. Or do it on the side until it expands to consume so much that you have to quit your day job. Uh, that's a great way to do it, where you you can get through that ignorance, that that fear of the unknown by turning it into known knowns,
5: uh, without risking yeah, without risking your house. Yeah. I just want to say one more thing related to this. Um, if yeah, absolutely, don't quit your day job for for one of these. You know for one of these whims that that may or may not pan out uh but if your day job quits you and you're in a panic um you know it's i've actually had good luck with instead of just jumping straight into um panic must find new work mode treating that as a time to work on some on some crazy side project um i i and it's it's funny how that can that can sort of come like turn into work because uh, as an example, I discovered that um that my job was gone um the night before railsconf started a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I was actually sitting at ignite railsconf, you know, just before the main conference started uh, and got the got the email on my phone that my my job had just fallen apart um, and and so i um you know I could have said, okay, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm gonna sort of scratch any plans that I, I had for this week and I'm just gonna run around desperately asking people for work. Um you know, there are worse places to, to run around asking people for work than Rails yeah. <laughs> um, instead I sort of um I, I sort of put a, a project that i have been thinking about in, in crash mode. Um and I I I painted a a, a construction helmet blue oh, and glued a bunch of helmet. Yeah. glued a bunch of phones to it and and <laughs> bought a cheap cheap audio recorder and I ran around Railsconf interviewing people about remote work because I'd been thinking yeah. about doing this this website and, and podcast about um about remote work yep. and uh, you know and, and and remote teams and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I ran around in this crazy hat interviewing people instead of asking people for jobs. And at the end of the week, I had a great um I had a great consulting gig. <laughs> um, you know, and that was, it was partly somebody that, that knew of me already in the, in the, in the Ruby community and, and partly a result of the, you know, this idea that I'm somebody who thinks really hard about, about remote work. And this was a, a team that was gr- growing, you know, growing into a, um, distributed team and they wanted somebody, you know, who, who was thinking about the ishu- those issues. So, um, you know, definitely don't quit your day job for one of these crazy projects, but if your day job quits you. Uh, consider instead of instead of just running to you know to find some work, um, throw all of your energy into some pet project and, um, and you know and make it public, make it visible, blog about it, whatever you're doing, you know. And and it's amazing, you know, what can come out of that uh, when you suddenly have the free time to uh, to throw all your passion into a into a project. That is right.
3: fantastic. Yep. Fortune favors the bold. I. I, I don't know. Ultimately, we, we've we said a lot of things that like if if you do this, consulting might not be for you. But ultimately, if there's in between stimulus and response, if you can have a tiny little gap in which you can insert just a moment of abject gleeful insanity, consulting might be for you it's <laughs> that, avdi that story i am just grinning from ear to ear just picturing you you know, so what did i do i painted a construction hat blue and glued phones to it
5: well no and, the, and, and i left out the most important part the the key to, to all this the key that that you know gave me that that leap of of intuition uh was i asked myself what would lady gaga do
4: a actually the second you said that i thought of um xkcd from like monday where it said so we've come down to this or whatever it was you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 The, gen-
1: the generic uh conversation stopper yep, yep. <laughs> so one last bit on on risk and i think it's the other side of risk um it, it risk isn't all about losing your job and job stability. It's also about where you can go and you know, your long term goals and, and whether you're able to accomplish them. The, I've um, I, I think that you're, you're talking
0: we've been, about opportunity cost for your choices.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. The, that's a good way of putting it. So, so we've been you know beating on the man a, a lot here and talking about how how uh, you know consulting and freelancing is is uh, gives you a lot more flexibility and freedom. If you're doing consulting work, um, oftentimes you, you, there's not a lot of advancement you can get out of that. You end up doing the same thing forever, you know, even though it's on a different project. It's just the same thing over and over again.
0: Oh, I, I forgot. You know, Josh is the man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am now. <laughs> yeah. but you know, my last gig, I was I was at Pivotal for about four years, and jobs are about trade-offs. No job is going to give you everything. They just can't because they're not all the same. But, the yeah, how's that for a truism? Anyway, so I went to Pivotal (laughs) because I wanted an environment where I could learn stuff. And I really wanted to level up on my agile development and various other things. And it was amazingly successful for me in that regard. I, I loved working at Pivotal, great environment, learned a ton of stuff there. But Consulting shops are very flat, and there's and there's just a very low ceiling there. So if you're ambitious, you're not going to be able to stay there for 10 years and have a good chance of advancing your career. It's just going to be the same thing pretty much every every year for you know the rest of your career there. And you know, for some people, yeah. that's just awesome. Some people love that. That's you know they, they get to work on a different project every few months and they see something new and they learn a lot of stuff. And that's awesome. But if you have more ambition and you want to and you see yourself as, you know, leading, you know, leading big teams of people or running companies or whatever, you're going to learn a lot of skills at a consulting shop, but you're not going to walk right into that position.
2: Yeah, it's it's essentially a stepping stone. It's a great mm-hmm. stepping stone. Yeah. Go yeah. to go to New York, but
3: leave before you get too hard. Go to California, but leave before you get too soft.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, that, and that's why he's the chief metaphor officer. That's right. <laughs> I can't take
3: credit for that quote. That's actually out of uh, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Mm,
0: metaphor cheese. Mm. Yep.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> metaphor cheese. <geez. laughs> it's stinky.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's from Phineas and Ferb. Anyway, it, um,
1: it sounds like we're done. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so, so,
0: so, so now that we've been doing this for an hour, um, let's get into the picks. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, James, what are your picks?
4: I've got a couple. I'll try to be quick since we're running behind. Um, first of all, uh, Adam Keyes wrote this great blog post um, this week about uh, writing more man pages, um, and everybody needs to go read this. It, it needs to be required reading. Um, I've been thinking about like how we do documentation for quite a while now, and I, I've definitely come to this solution that, or the conclusion that what we're doing is is broken and and wrong and and I haven't figured out what the right right answer is uh, but I like a lot of what Adam's saying here about um, how he's using man pages and he's doing it with markdown and stuff like that and um, getting it away from the code it actually turns out that API documentation is I mean, it's useful when you're at expert level, but by the time you're at that level, you know, (laughs) maybe you probably don't need API documentation as much. Um, Anyways, uh, so Adam's got a lot of neat ideas here, and um, his ideas are kind of a neat synergy, I think, with readme-driven development, uh, which is an old uh, classic blog post from uh, Tom Preston-Warner about, uh, you know, how you can put together basically the document about what you're trying to do, you can throw that in Markdown, that can be your readme on GitHub where everybody will see it, and you can turn that into your man page if you do it correctly, you know, uh, paying attention to what Adam's talking about here. So, anyways, just a lot of cool ideas along those lines, and everybody should go read that. Uh, The other thing i got to tell everybody to do, um, I think I'm always, like, pointing out new peep codes when they come up, but hey, that's a cool service. Um, uh, The new one is a play by play with Aaron Patterson. Um, and everybody should go watch it because uh, it, Aaron programs a very, probably very differently than you do. In that he has, uh, you know, just an intimate inner knowledge of Ruby, and so he solves all problems through that lens, right? So, like, uh, when he needs to mock something, yeah, he he does it, you know, using Ruby in a couple of lines. You know, uh, he doesn't load a mocking library and stuff like that, and he's playing around with different. Uh, Rubyisms in, in it. And, and so, you know, while it's not techniques you would use all the time, it's a, it's a very different way of thinking than I see a lot of people program. Uh, and I think it's very interesting. So you should definitely watch that. Peep Codes totally worth the price of admission. That's it. Those are my picks.
0: Yeah. As James pointed out, the man is actually a command line utility for pulling up documentation.
4: Yeah, but it sucks working for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you need to read Adam's post. It doesn't have to.
5: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, and Roth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Avdi, what are your picks?
5: Uh, So let's see. I will start with GNU make the uh, GNU utility for assembling programs. It's not a goodie. Is
3: that at the Apple store?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. I would be hard-pressed to explain why I find uh, writing make files so satisfying and that's I'm not being facetious I actually do I, I find it pleasurable it, in a way I guess because it's 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 uh, almost a different programming model it's a rules-based programming model rather than a um, rather than an, an imperative programming model but I really enjoy assembling make files and if you never have it, it can be fun to try and GNU make uh is it's there's a lot more to it than I think a lot of people realize it, it has a lot of neat capabilities. Um, and uh, another one is Pin Pinboard. Uh, pinboard is another of these sort of replacements for for Delicious, the bookmark storage, you know, cloud bookmark storage app um, since Delicious started to suck. And um, you mean
1: they got bought by Yahoo, right? That killed them.
5: Well, they, they got bought no. by Yahoo, then they got spin off, spun off, it's it's all very confusing. Yeah, um, they're not
0: owned by Yahoo anymore, they're owned by uh, somebody else.
5: All, all I know is, uh, at some point, I can't remember if it was before or after Yahoo, it started to get really, really slow, and I switched over to using Diggo more. And Diggo is nice, um, but it's a little almost over-featured um, and confusing. Um, anyway pinboard is is neat because they just by default they cache everything that you bookmark so they they pull it offline and and cache it and they and they cache everything like you know if the page has videos on it they cache the video i think um and like all the assets all the css so you get a page that looks like the original page and they just do this by default for everything you bookmark and it's got some nice features um, where it'll it'll just quietly in the background bookmark. if i post a link to twitter it'll bookmark that link for me if i read something and read it later it'll bookmark that link for me so all those bookmarks that i always forget to you know i read but then i forget to bookmark them uh it just kind of picks up on those so i've i've been enjoying pinboard
0: so is it like Instapaper or?
5: It's no. It's 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 more about bookmarking. I mean, yes, it has a to read tag or or category or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's. It's not really focused on that. It, it integrates with things like Read It Later and in Instapaper quite nicely. Uh, it's really about saving an archive of all the links that you've that you've found interesting and making it searchable. You know, not just like tag searchable, but full text searchable. Okay. And it integrates nicely with Greplin, which I think was another of my picks earlier. Uh, so you can feed your Pinboard account into Greplin, and then um, when you search Greplin, it, it searches through your Pinboard links. Okay.
0: Cool. Yeah. Jeff Schoolcraft on the Ruby Freelancer Show keeps bringing that up in our little chats.
1: Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to try that. I use both Greplin and Pinboard, but I haven't hooked them up yet. Cool. All right, Josh, what are your picks? Uh, OK. So my first pick is uh, if you're doing a startup, I'm, I'm in an accelerator program. My startup uh, is part of the Rock Health, uh, their current class. And Rock Health is a startup accelerator for health-related startups. And uh, so far, it's been great. I, I love being part of them. Uh, th- I think they're somewhat unique among accelerator programs in that they don't take anything from the startups. They just provide. They're a funded nonprofit, so they don't want anything from us, which makes it doubly awesome. But they also, they're on a mission to help just startups in general and, and health-related startups. And they put a lot of material online. They do a bunch of, of uh, speakers coming in and uh, giving presentations. So there's a whole YouTube video channel for all the Rock Health videos. They put on uh, conferences. They're gonna be at South by Southwest uh, doing some sort of um, Zen retreat at a yoga studio a block or so from where South by Southwest is going on. Uh, but uh, it, they have a lot of resources there. They have. They just put a blog post up about if you're a startup, how do you deal with tax season? So they're worth checking out even if you're not uh, doing a health-related startup. So i say just go check that out. And. and uh, a couple months from now, they're going to be opening up applications for the the fall term, which is going to start in July, I think. So that our application for this one was due in November, so it'll probably be like May. So uh, if you're doing a health-related startup, uh, I encourage you to be part of it.
0: Do you have to but, be in San Francisco? You do. Okay. You do.
1: And, and there's people in the current class who've traveled to San Francisco from like Australia to be part of the program. So people do that. They they give you a little bit of money as part of the of being part of the program, so it can help out with that. Right. So, and then my next pick is uh, I don't know you've probably all already seen this already. It's um, the machete order for watching the Star Wars saga. <laughs> yes, very <Yeah>. important. <laughs> <laughs> so I I know everyone on the show has already seen this, but maybe people listening haven't haven't found it yet. It's uh, this is. The right way to watch the the Star Wars saga so that it doesn't give away any of the big reveals um, and And also uh, just the reading the blog post about this, I actually learned a lot about Star Wars that I never considered before. So hmm. it, even even if you're not gonna go off and and watch Star Wars in this order or ever watch Star Wars again, even it's worth reading, I think, just for the critical deconstruction of of Star Wars. Yeah,
4: I didn't know you could get those uh, HD remastered things that he links to.
1: Oh my, that was—I may have to like see if I can get those. Those are pretty awesome.
4: Yeah, that looks <laughs> awesome. I'm thinking of burning them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. So, all um, right. Anyway, so so uh, that's it for me this week. All
3: right, David, what are your picks? I have far too many picks today. Uh, So, as quickly as possible. Um, Although, this is, we're we're recording this on February 29th. This probably won't go up until the second or third of March. But today is my friend Howard Taylor's 12th birthday. And (laughs) uh,
0: yeah, I asked him if he was uh, 10 or 11, and he said, you could have said eight. That would have been nice. It would have been nice. And, And I had to reply, you're not an eight. Yeah.
4: Those are those are leapers, right? Is that the yes. right term?
3: Yeah. yeah. Yes. He's a leaper. He uh, on on the on the subject of uh, freelancing and consulting and whatnot. He quit a six figure jo- six figure salary job at Novell as the product line manager for GroupWise. Um, he wow. just walked he just walked out and said I'm going to become a full-time cartoonist and he did not know how to draw. So uh, if you go to schlockmercenary.com and go back you'll look at the strip and go okay it's a webcomic it looks really good it's it's nicely drawn it's nicely colored. Click on the link that says go back to you know uh, June 20th or whatever of t- of 2000. Go back to the very first strip and you go and you'll realize oh my gosh he did not know how to draw. (laughs) And there is a reason when he when he decided he was going to become a cartoonist, he's like, I, I know I can't draw. So I need to make sure that my my main character is something I can draw. And the main character (laughs) that explains a lot the main character schlock is basically a pile of poop and he's just this amorphous blob and he's he's like it's a it's a pile of goo there's no way i can draw it wrong and um he ended up getting the perspective wrong on schlock's eyeballs like in the first or second strip like the 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 far away eyeball was bigger than the close-up eyeball and he had to go back and write backstory that "No, no 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 one of his eyes really is three times bigger than the other um and he's been doing it for like 12 years now and he feeds his family on it pays his mortgage and uh, more power to him um, they're hilarious by the way There, uh, it's it's the Monday's strip the 27th uh, paranoia that, that, that happens on Q gives me chills is the funniest punchline of the month um, I just, it's just awesome um, okay very quickly through my other picks uh, at Amazon.com I'm going to uh, recommend two books that I read over 20 years ago that set me On the path that I'm on now The first one is Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway By Susan Jeffers, PhD And the second book is called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow By Marsha Sinatar And these books were both written in the late 80s They are still absolutely applicable Because they're not about uh, tech sector stuff They're about the wetware in your head And what holds you back And and, and humans are made out of the same kind of organic psychology Now that they were um, all, you know all those years ago so and then, lastly, since there was a a, a Star Wars mention, uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic is available in the App Store now, and you can go back and play the the, the first uh, uh, really good Star Wars RPG. And I have something heretical to say to that say about that, which is every anybody who's played both uh, of the KOTOR games, um, you will remember distinctly that KOTOR two was an epic disappointment; that it was just a huge letdown because it was really it wasn't really a secret it was more like version 1.2 it was like a patch on the original game and you need to go back and play both games because you will find out very quickly that all of your happy memories from KOTOR were actually from KOTOR 2 I, I am I am just agog I'm, I'm playing through I've booted up an old Windows box just so that I can play uh, KOTOR 2 and uh, I'm like yeah, okay this is where all the, because f- I've, I've played KOTOR the one, I've played it through twice now on my Mac and I had to go back to play 2 just to go yeah this is where all the really good plot twists were. So, them's my picks.
0: All right, cool. I'll go ahead and go next. So, a couple of books that I highly recommend uh, to people, especially people who are looking for jobs and trying to find one that they're really going to like. Uh, there's a book out there called 48 Days to the Work You Love. And uh, it it's kind of a, a non-conventional way of finding a job. And uh, it's it's just a super book that really kind of sums up, OK, this is what you need to have on your resume. Here's how you do an interview. But it goes into more than that. Here's how you find the jobs that aren't listed on the job boards that they haven't hired a recruiter to find, you know, and, and you know, get you into the companies. You know, so you can find out about the companies and then um, work things out so that you can get in front of the right people before they actually get two thousand applications on their desk from people looking for that job. The other book is also by Dan Miller. Dan Miller wrote Forty Eight Days to the Work You Love. Um, he also wrote No More Mondays, and in fact, he uh, he rebooted it to No More Dreaded Mondays. And that one's much more about starting your own business, um, you know, finding a business idea, you know, following it through and things like that. Um, It applies both to products, to training and to freelancing and uh, just a super book uh, by Dan Miller. And finally, he also has a 48 Days podcast that he does and he answers questions uh, that people send in. And so if you're looking for, I mean, he does everything from career advice all the way up to, uh, you know, people send in, I'm looking at this idea. Um, you know, here's kind of how I'm going to approach it. What do you think? And he actually gives them advice. You know, I, you need to look at the profit margins here, figure out if this is going to work for you here, you know, does it match your lifestyle, things like that. And, uh, I, I, I just find it very, very inspiring. So, uh, Um, You can go and check those out either in Amazon or on the iTunes app store or in the iTunes store. Anyway, um, Marty, what are your picks? Okay,
2: so I have uh, three picks today. They're all books um, and actually probably some of them have already been talked about. So I'll go through them pretty quickly. Uh, So I think Passionate Programmer by Chad Fowler is a great book that if you haven't read it yet um, on this topic, it's a great great book to read and, you know, help you level up as a developer. I think also along the lines of that, uh, Pragmatic Programmer, which is, of course, the Dave Thomas, Andy Hunt book back, um, you know, 12 years ago or something like that, um, is also, I think both of these are great books you should read. Um, You know, if you haven't already, definitely Get them and read them and the third one is one I just became aware of uh, just recently and that is um, a little uh, um, ebook called uh, How to Do What You Love and Earn What You're Worth as a Programmer by Reg Braithwaite and that's on LeanPub and um, it's kind of cool because I think you can set your own price. I think it's like $5 is a suggested price but um, uh, it's got some good advice in there and, um, you know, certainly if you're trying to get to where you can get the job you want or whatnot as a programmer and help you get in there, then that is certainly uh, good advice in there for you getting started. So those are my picks.
0: All right. I just want to plus one on the, the first two anyway. I haven't read the other one, but passionate programmer. It doesn't matter where you're going with your career. You should read that book. So yeah,
2: definitely, definitely. Yeah,
0: all right. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, We are in iTunes. Uh, You can just find us by doing a search for Ruby Rogues. Uh, You can also come to rubyrogues.com and just click on the iTunes icon and that'll take you there. If you leave us a review or give us a rating, uh, that does help us kind of move up the charts and helps people find us, which in turn we hope will help them. You can also leave a comment on the blog. And uh, we're, we're going to be reading Crafting Rails Applications by José Valim um, for our next book club. Uh, we have a tentative date toward the end of March, but we want to solidify that before we announce it. So uh, start reading the book um, and expect to need to have that finished by the end of March so that we can talk about it. And uh, that's it. We'll catch you next week. And Thanks remember, for joining
4: us, Marty.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It's fun. Remember, you're our favorite listener but don't tell the other <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh.